Hi, I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg, and we're the co-founders of The Skim. Welcome to our podcast, Skimmed from the Couch. On every episode, we invite smart, inspiring, successful women to chat candidly about what it takes to get to the top, and then what it's like when you actually get there. So this is a podcast about the real stuff, the crappy days, the bad advice, the first big career win, and the people who are there for the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. We started the skim from a couch, and we have only one rule on this one, no BS. So please join us in welcoming Michelle Promaleko to our couch. Michelle fell in love with magazines as a teenager, so we're betting that the teenage version of Michelle would be very happy that we're introducing her as the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan. But before that, she built a career heading up publications like Women's Health and Yahoo Health. She's also written two books and is trained in transcendental meditation. We are going to ask you about that. Welcome to the couch, Michelle. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, I have a lot of questions for you, but the First, most important thing I'd like to talk about is when you worked at YM Magazine. <laughs> yes. And I'm kind of shocked that you even know what it is. For those that don't know what YM is, I think you should go look it up. But YM was my favorite magazine. It, it was like why I fell in love with magazines. I begged my parents to buy it for me. I remember taking my like allowance money, which was like five dollars, to go to go get it. Uh, I loved YM. Yeah, so. it was it was a great teen magazine. It was first called Young Miss, and then by the time I got there, it was called Young and Modern. At the time, Bonnie Fuller, um, who's a you know veteran editor was running it. She came from Canada to run it. And it was a super fun place to work for all the reasons you think. Young people working there, like all the people that I cared about in pop culture were on the cover. It was the time when male models ruled the world. Yeah. So that was kind of fun too. <laughs> I don't know if you remember Marcus Schengenberg. I was going to say that. I uh, so, I mean, you're not here because of YM, but I, I did just notice it on your bio, so we had to talk about it. Yeah, that was the, <laughs> but that was the critical foot in the door. Yeah. And I had actually interned at Sassy Magazine, and it was through, I don't know if you knew I about Sassy. Know Sassy. No. Sassy was Jane Pratt's first oh, magazine. Yeah. Um, and it was a very sort of avant-garde teen magazine and, you know, kind of disrupted that whole category. And it was somebody, an editor of mine from there, that told me about the opening at YM. So between... YM, Teen People, Cosmo, Women's Health, two books, Look Better Naked and 20 Pounds Younger, and now (laughs) your job now, which is both editor-in-chief at Cosmopolitan and editorial director of Seventeen. What is an editorial director? Yeah, editorial director of Women's Health and Seventeen, and editor in chief of Cosmo. Yes. Yeah. What's been the most fun? Oh God, because um, these are all brands. Yeah, that, like, they're all really fun. Yeah. But I have to say, there's a special place in my heart for Cosmo. So I was at Cosmo for eight years before this mm-hmm. as the executive editor, which is number two, and then I left to become the editor in chief of Women's Health, which was great fun, um, but a different kind of fun. You know, I am passionate about health and wellness, as you guys know, um, but Cosmo just, you know, has a certain personality and iconicness to it that is unparalleled. So having been there for eight years and then returning almost two years ago as editor-in-chief, having so much affection for it and familiarity with it, um, that's been the most fun because, I mean, Cosmo cover lines, come on. I mean, it doesn't get a lot better. I'm going to ask a very basic question, but in your mind, is there a difference between Cosmopolitan and Cosmo? Mm, 
I mean, they, they, it's impossible for me to separate yeah. them because it is technically cosmopolitan. But you know, we always I call just it never Cosmo. know which one to say. And I'm like, right, it's funny because it's I'm like reading... cosmopolitan sounds so formal. Yeah. yeah. But obviously, that's what the logo says. Yes, I like Cosmo. Um, so I don't know if you remember this, but the first time we met was a, a luncheon actually thrown by your predecessor, Joanna Coles. Yeah. And we sat who next to each we other. Also who we also interviewed. To. Yeah, no, I listened sh- to on that. On this show. Um, and you, I hadn't realized at the time when we met that you had worked at Cosmo already, left, and were coming back. Right. And I had so many questions to you about it, which is, what is it like to go back to your old job having c- coming in, in in the big seat? And not only the big seat, but also replacing someone who was not a wallflower, Joanna Coles. We've had her totally. on the show. Like, she's got a lot of opinions. She's a force. Yep. We love her. Like, she's got a lot to say. So, what would, I mean, just walk us through this. Yeah. So, well, two things. One, it was – there was a big gap between the two. So, between leaving as executive editor and coming back was about – I think eight years. So that's a significant amount of time where I had, you know, been an editor in chief of Women's Health and of Yahoo Health. The world changed, women sort of changed. Um, and everyone who's sat in that seat, I would be only the fifth person, which was very humbling and sort of terrifying. Um, nobody's been a wallflower. I mean, they've been different personalities, but, you know, everyone from Helen Gurley Brown to Bonnie Fuller, who was the first person who hired me at YM, to Kate White, to Joanna. All of those women are revered and have strong opinions and, you know, tons of talent. So, you know, it was more the whole legacy of people who had sat in that seat that was, you know, pretty intimidating. But also, I mean, incredibly exciting and sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity. And as you just said, there have been five amazing women. I'm the fifth. You are the fifth. What is what do you want your mark to be? Oh God, that's such a big question. Well, just um, start with like, how about not fucking it up? <laughs> <laughs> but like, what let's is start there? Or like, let's start with like, how are you different? Or like, they've all had big personalities. Yeah. They've been names. Yeah. Like, what do you what do you want to be known for? In this well, role? I'm I'm a big believer in it's it's not about me. You know, it's about the reader, and so it's really what the readership and the sort of zeitgeist dictates, right? That sort of is your rudder about the things that you're going to be talking about and what you're going to be doing and kind of the tone of what you're going to be doing. Of course, sex and relationships is the core of what we talk about. Um, And there's never been a more difficult time to navigate those things with the advent of apps and just, you know, it's connected isolation, right? We're more connected, we're more isolated. Um, there's the paradox of choice. Wait, this like I could go out with this guy, but maybe I could go out with this guy. Wait, maybe I don't want to go out with either guy. It's very confusing time. Um, so I feel like if I end up being known as an editor that helps you know young modern women navigate this really difficult time, that would be pretty great. And that's just obviously one thing that we do, but it's the core of what we do, and it's really important. How do you you know when we? When we talk to people who ask us for career advice, when we talk to um, people for our own advice, um, constantly comes back to the idea that like every industry as we know it is shifting and there is no straight and narrow path. There is no track. We are very much living proof of that, which is why we started the skim to begin with. There's probably very few industries that have changed as much as publishing and magazines. So 
I, you know, as a, I was looking at our, our prep for this and it was like, Michelle always loved magazines. I'm like, me too. <laughs> like I interned. <laughs> when they were just magazines. When they were just magazines. Yeah. And I, you know, I grew up trying to get internships at literally all of them. I used to like save and collect all the magazines. I and love that. I still have them at my parents' house. And how do you, um, how do you look at your role today? Because you are in an industry that everyone is like, it's changing. Everything we know doesn't work anymore. And you're working on something that is printed and sold on newsstands right. and obviously also has a digital component and yeah. version of it. But how do, how do you talk through that? Well, you're right. It's changed a ton since I became a reader. And one of the reasons I was a reader was, yes, I loved all the fashion and beauty and, you know, tearing things out just like you did. But I also was really horrible at math. So I was like, what can, what career can I go? Another thing in common. (laughs) That also sounds (laughs) familiar. What career can I go into where I don't even have to take a math class? Um, So now it's obviously a 360 degree brand with all these different platforms. And there is a shared sensibility across all platforms. But one of the reasons that I left Women's Health, a magazine that I loved and that was thriving, um, and very few people voluntarily leave the corner office. I mean, it happens, but it doesn't happen a lot. And I did. I voluntarily left to go to Yahoo because I really felt like I needed that digital immersion. And when I was the editor-in-chief of Women's Health, the digital team reported to me, but I wasn't executing the day-to-day. And so I felt like I needed a deeper immersion to really understand the cadence of online publishing, you know, what makes for a good story idea and what makes that different from print. So I really forced myself to kind of go into a really uncomfortable place, which was going from the industry that I'd spent the entirety of my career in up until that point to you know, a a parallel industry, but still very different at a huge matrix Silicon Valley based company. I was in New York, but it's still, you know, the headquarters were in Silicon Valley Um, and having going from 50 people reporting to me to like four people reporting to me. But the purpose of doing that was so that I could keep evolving and learning. And that is critical. If you're not curious and if you're not willing to continually adapt and learn and grow and you know acquire new skills you're going to be toast do you laugh in any industry when you see a lot of digital first companies creating print editions now i do i i mean but i love it because it just goes to say you know to show how special that sort of tangible product is and how um cachet it is and that's why they do it do you think there will always be a print edition of cosmo I mean, always is a long time. I mean, I think there will be for a long time to come. Certainly, I think throughout my career, um, but eventually, maybe not. When we were talking about Cosmo and the idea of obviously Cosmo covers a lot and it keeps it real, but especially about sex and relationships, that's kind of the core. Um, I was thinking about the different roles that you have and just thinking about how hard it must be right now to be editorial director for Seventeen. Like as much as things are changing for women who are trying to figure out the dating environment and looking for advice there and the advent of technology, being a 17-year-old right now, and I'm sure every generation says this, but I look at it and I'm like, God, I remember when I would beg my mom to let me buy 17 and I was Mm -hmm. like, you know, 14 or 15. It does have a young readership because the aspiration is obviously like by the time they're 17, they're kind of transitioning into Cosmo 
potentially, yeah. um, or but, somewhere in between. But yeah, it is difficult and makes me thankful that I'm not a parent of a teen um, or a parent yeah. at all. But, but today, yeah. I mean, thinking about, I mean, the example of the Parkland kids, right? Mm-hmm. And seeing all of this activism at a younger age and trying to navigate a brand whose audience is younger, right? That it is an aspirational thing. How has that changed in the past few years? Well, the thing that we've always done is provide service, right? Advice. And we're both publications, Cosmo and Seventeen, are advice-based publications. It's like they're not just there. Yeah, they have pretty pictures, but it's not just there for a lean back kind of, you know, flip through luxurious read. It's there to actually teach you something and give you advice. Seventeen's um, always done that. It's doing that more now than ever. And when it comes to the relationship stuff, I mean, we tread very carefully when it comes to Seventeen because we know some of the readers are young. And so we know this is on their mind. They may not be talking to their parents about it. They may not even be talking to their friends about it. And we want to make sure that the advice they get is, you know, solid and backed by experts. Um, and so we, we do all of that. But it's not, you know, yes, things that happen in the world are different. But the way that we sort of attack them isn't. I'm curious, you know, when I, when I think about, um, you know, specifically Seventeen and Cosmo, you know, that are, are geared towards, you know, either te- teens or kind of the rising women in their 20s, really, that are not your age group. Yeah. How do you keep the authenticity alive and make those decisions yeah, and well, have that confidence? Well, thankfully, it's not. Well, I'm incredibly immature. So that's, that's <laughs> helpful. Um, and I probably, to be perfectly frank, live a lifestyle that even though I have this, you know, this big, quote unquote, big job and, you know, I'm in my 40s, I, I definitely feel like I have a very young spirit and I care about, I mean, I'm like, you know, on all the technology, I watch all the shows, I'm sort of immersed and so I feel like are you w- like are you younger? Are you the the character in younger? <laughs> I'm I, I, I really no, really actually, like it's my favorite I show. Like even though we've had the younger cast in the magazine, that's not one of my shows. Oh, but I have show. heard about it. Um, so I think that I am sort of in my mind closer to the readership than I am chronologically. But that said, thankfully, it's not up to me to create the entire magazine. So the reason I ask um, is because we interviewed Melanie Whelan from Soul Cycle here. Oh, I, last I week. love Mel, and uh, she actually reminds me a lot of you. And uh, that's a compliment. No, Thank she's you. she's great. And uh, she told me something which I was fascinated by. She has a millennial mentor. Mm. And it's one of the youngest people on her team and is literally one of her mentors that she takes out and is like, teach me things. That's amazing. My questions are, who are your mentors? And do you have a millennial mentor? Yeah. I mean, I have my assistant, right, Mm -hmm. who's like right outside my door and we have like a million conversations a day and she's 26 years old. And so, yes, she I vet things through her all the time. Um, But a lot of the staff is young. So this is like a constant dialogue with them. Mm -hmm whether it's in story idea meetings or just off the cuff, like in, in the hallway, talking about like what they did that weekend or, you know, just in a an informal group setting, like hearing what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I don't have one, me- I love that term, millennial mentor, that's great. But I feel like I'm pretty plugged in. Like I had friends at my um, my house this weekend for the holiday and they're my age and they were like, I wanna see that, I was on an episode of The Real Housewives 
and they were like, I want to see that episode, but like, I don't know how to do it. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? mean? Yeah. Like they, like they mm. couldn't figure out how to either access it on a computer or on demand or anything. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, obviously millennials like don't even have TVs. They watch, like they use their parents login and watching their computers. Like I'm kind of like that. Like I'm a millennial in a Gen Xer's body Wait, in some can way. Can we talk about The Real Housewives? Sure. How was it? It was really fun. It was really fun. Carol Radziwill is a friend of mine. And she wrote a piece for Cosmo. Um, it was our On My Mind page. And her piece was called Confident Women Are Made Not Born. And it was just about needing to sort of cultivate confidence and to do things, sometimes scary things. She ran the marathon for the first time at 54 um, last October and just sort of continually working towards that goal. And it was a great piece. And so she came into the office to talk to me about the piece and they filmed it. Would you ever want to be on reality TV like that? Like, well, what was your so, experience so, so like? Cosmo had yeah. a reality show for a minute, and that was my first day was the first I day of oh, shooting. So I feel like that was the trial by fire when it comes to reality shows. Um, and then this has just been sort of a fun little cameo. So it's like I did that one scene, and then it was funny. A few weeks later, my voice was on, so I'm like, in, oh I like God. have it on. I'm like in my kitchen doing something. I'm like, wait a minute, I hear my voice, <laughs> and it's coming out of the television. That's so weird. And I may appear on one more episode so um, this season, but it's a full time job. I mean, knowing Carol, it's a full time job. So it's hard. It would be hard to have a job and do that, but it's fun to sort I think of. You'd be a good character. Thank you. We'd rally for you. Um, thank you very much. It's fun to, to make appearances. So I had an embarrassing thing happen. I went to our um, team outing last week. And after leaving, I walked home and was like, gosh, I could use some ice cream. I was on the phone with my parents walking home. And I was mentioning that I was going to go get an ice cream cone. And they were like, didn't you just have birthday cake today that was ice cream cake? And then I realized that I had ice cream three times that day I yeah I I'm not gonna sugarcoat it literally literally (laughs) um although we're not going back to school which is sad every time it starts to be the end of summer we remember we're no longer in college um but it is a good time to reset and get back on track and one thing that makes healthy eating easy um is daily harvest they're really good. They're not just healthy. They actually really taste good. Um, so they're pre-portioned cups. They're sent to your door. You can freeze them, and then you can mix them with, like, whatever type of fancy milk. If you're into oat milk, I guess buy that, throw it in, blend it, and there you go. Well, normally something that sounds this healthy would turn me off. I actually know it's very good, and I really like it. So go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code SKIM to get three cups free in your very first box. That is promo code SKIM for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Again, that is daily-harvest.com. I want to talk about confidence because you just brought it up as it relates to what Carol wrote about. I'm fascinated by like your job in particular um, because we we've talked a lot on on this show about you know when you're at the top it can feel very lonely and that we're very lucky that like we have each other and it makes it less lonely or we can be lonely together but uh, <laughs> but uh, you're in an interesting position because obviously like you're at the top within Cosmo right yeah. and you have these other editorial roles and and you know 
you have a lot of people that you don't know if you make a decision, are you making a lot of people unhappy or what are they saying behind your back and all of those things. Totally. But then you also have these kind of corporate over- overlords, if yep. you will, uh, where you all, it's also lonely to be like, am I fighting a battle by myself? And I want to yep. talk a little bit about how, when do you feel lonely and how do you deal with, with that stress? Yeah. I mean, it's a really insightful question in that, you know, you guys are entrepreneurs and you have each other, so you're not in that position, but, but you sort of nailed it. It's, um, it is a unique position because you can't necessarily let, you want to be human, obviously, and you want to, you know, not seem like you're Teflon and nothing bothers you or gets to you. You want to be real, but you can't be fraying because that's not a good look for the boss. And then, you know, so you have to be strong for your staff and decisive. And I am a very decisive person and you have to, um, you know, sort of be their guide to what's going on in this shifting landscape because there's a lot of anxiety even just within the ranks. It's not about the the magazine. It's just the industry or the company. And when things change, people get nervous about what that means for them. To your further point, it's like, yes, I have bosses, right? Mm-hmm. There's executives in the company and they don't always know what I'm doing on a day-to-day. So it's really sort of trying to balance, like, how much do I communicate up up to them about what I'm doing versus spending time, you know, sort of nurturing the staff. And so there is a big kind of balancing act of how you kind of break down your time. And to be honest, I probably do less of the managing up than I should do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of my deficits is like, I'm can like- Can you talk about managing up? Because I feel like it's a term we actually yeah. say a lot here that I don't sometimes know I what can it really talk means. about it, but I can't really give any advice. <laughs> well, I mean, what is it? Um, what, what, who manages what, up to you? Like, what does that mean? It's funny because I never think yeah, of myself yeah, like, like yeah. I never think of people managing up to me, which they do, obviously. Yeah. But I just think like we're coworkers and right. we're like talking and getting having along. having a conversation. Um, <laughs> I think that it is- it's important in certain cultures, in certain corporate cultures. I mean, I've always worked for bosses who, you know, knew like communicated to me that they knew I was doing a good job and that they didn't need to hear from me every five minutes. And that was great by me. You know, like we had, you know, we had regular meetings and things. So I've always operated with the idea that like if something was going wrong, I'd know about it. And so I'm sort of like, you know, no news is good news, which is not necessarily founded on anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think it's important to communicate when you're doing big things or innovative things because your boss may not know. And those are important qualities in a manager. So you want to be able to communicate what you're doing differently or better to help sort of the greater good or your brand or the people who are working for you or evolving things in some way. Um, It's important to sort of have some kind of avenue to communicate that. How much time do you spend focusing on reader or audience feedback, and also your team's feedback? There, is, there are less sort of, it sounds weird, but there are less sort of channels to get the reader feedback than there used to be. You would think social would be like, okay, but mostly the people who communicate on social are complaining about one thing or the other, and they're not necessarily the same people who are reading right. the magazine, right? They might be reading the site or you know seeing something on social that they liked or didn't like. Um, you know, magazines just do a lot less outreach to readers, which I think is unfortunate because it's really important. So it's a lot of anecdotal stuff. Um, and the staff is extremely valuable, but I always have to keep in mind they are New York City based 
you know, millennials, and they don't represent the whole com- the whole country. Um, it's great, you know, we have like an editor from Texas, like people from other mm-hmm. states, and they can sort of draw from their, you know, their sort of background pre New York to sort of be like, hey guys, my my friends back home don't don't think like that. But it's important. I, it's one of the things I'm always actually saying to editors, like, okay, like you are so plugged into what's happening in this like cosmopolitan, um, meaning, you know, yeah. kind of urban environment. Like you can't assume everybody knows what that is. You've spent, obviously, because we're very jealous, a ton of time working in magazines, which, you know, we love. We've gone over that. One of the things that I think has been interesting is over, you know, the past, I'm sure, longer than decade, two decades since magazines have been around, there's been this back and forth over body images portrayed, Mm, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. How have you seen that evolve since you've been in the industry? And what do you, when that comes up, whether it's at Cosmopolitan or Seventeen now, like, how do you guys think about it actively? Yeah, we think about it actively. We do. Um, it's evolved in a great way because as other things in the magazine have evolved too, diversity is important. Diversity is important because we want to be inclusive. It's like we're talking to young women um, and we want all young women to feel like we're talking to them. And so diversity of body type is important um, for Cosmo, for women's health, for Seventeen, for all brands. And obviously the world has embraced that more. Um, and it's been a you know a more kind of prevalent topic of conversation, and you now see you know on Cosmos covers you know it used to be a very sort of prototypical like back in the Helen Gurley Brown days you sort of knew what that cover person was whether it was a model or a celebrity you kind of knew what they were going to look like, and you don't know month to month who's going to be on the cover of Cosmo. There are, you know, women who are, you know, the typical size four or whatever. And then there are women who aren't or, you know, obviously, um, you know, we have diversity of every kind on the cover. What I think is really interesting, and this is treading into kind of dangerous territory. I can feel like Katie behind me, like starting to sweat. from PR. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, Is that it's, it's now going into what I'm hearing terms like fat positivity. And I just don't know how I feel about that. And part of it is I did spend... Katie's nodding. Yeah. I did spend (laughs) um, six years, you know, as the editor-in-chief of Women's Health. I'm now editorial director again. I spent, you know, almost two years at Yahoo, at Yahoo Health. I care passionately about health and wellness. And while I absolutely believe that you can be healthy at many different sizes... I, it's not it's not a given that you can just do anything you want lifestyle wise and be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that troubles me a little bit. I want to talk about wellness and, and, and being healthy because you, you've mentioned it a few times and we also you know we, we joked in the beginning that we wanted to dip, dive into transcendental meditation. Yeah but what the fuck is that? Oh my God. <laughs> um, so transcendental meditation is you know the most kind of researched form of meditation. Obviously there's lots of different mm-hmm. forms. Um, it's been studied the most and that's one of the reasons that I chose it as my practice because I sort of as woo as I can get, I'm also kind of like research and science based yeah. where I'm like, does this actually work? Is it worth my time? Um, so if I go to a med, if I get like a meditation app, is that transcendental meditation? No. Oh, okay. So, but 
but it's better than nothing. I mean, okay. I'm not knocking the apps. I no, mean, they're, I they're great and universal. Yeah, so transcendental meditation, generally you have to be trained to do it okay. um, because you're given a mantra. And so what, it's a, I, a is mantra is, uh, it's, it's, it's a vibrational sort of set of words that you say over and over Wait, silently. No, you're not allowed to tell your mantra. Yeah. Can and you give me one? Well, where, no. where do we get it? From your teacher. But how do you find a teacher? <laughs> oh, it's like, I mean, it's easy to find a teacher. So there's this, you can like, Google what's an example of a Google mantra? That. Not yours, but like what's... I only know mine because you're not allowed to Google transcendental. <laughs> um... But what it does when you say the mantra silently over and over in your head is it sort of puts your brain in a certain meditative state. Is the mantra like, um, or is it like, you are brave? Oh, it's more like an um, but it's okay. not um, but it's more like, the, the okay. um. it doesn't, it's not actually words. It's okay, more like, you. it's a word, but it's more like a sound. It's hard to explain. But yeah. you can, I went to the David Lynch Foundation skim. here in New York. <laughs> uh, it could be skin. Hopefully it's not. I don't think that would help you meditate. I'm sure that wouldn't put you in a yeah. meditative no, state. I don't know if you you're ready for meditation if that was your word. But TM is, um, the practice is 20 minutes in the beginning of the day, usually like first thing when you wake up, and 20 minutes towards the end of the day. You do this Not, every day? I don't. Okay. And I'm like, that's I sh- a lot of time. No, no, no. It's a ton of time, and that's the biggest issue. But I can be sort of hypocritical and say, even though I don't do it every day because I don't find the time, um, that it's time well spent. What time do you get up? It's just a random. It point. depends if I'm working out. Um, if I'm working out, I'll get up at like six, and if not, like seven or eight. Yeah. Do you check your email first thing? No. I mean, like it, it's. I mean, I am so much more since working in digital. I am so much more of a texter and a Slack person. I like email drives me nuts. So, so well, I, let me rephrase it. Are you on your phone first thing? I will look at it to see if there's any like urgent text message because it's on silent when I'm sleeping. When do you like shut off at night? When do you say like work? I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't really shut off at night. I mean, I should, but I. I don't. Like, I mean, I. I wouldn't say I necessarily check my email right before bed, but I might. It's more that like email doesn't even occur to me. I'm like, if something really urgent's happening, all the people that work with me know to text me. So you have a great energy. Like, I don't know you too well, but you have a great energy and Thank like you. seem very. Uh-huh positive and very transcendental meditated and all of those things. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's working. I assume that you get stressed. I assume yeah. you don't get this job by just being like happy-go-lucky all the time. Oh, God, so, no. Nobody would call me happy-go-lucky all the so time. So how, <laughs> how do you – I mean, the people that report to you, if they're listening to this and laughing, yeah. like – how do people know that you're stressed, that you mean business, that, like, don't mess with me right now? <laughs> well, they know not to let me get too hungry. That's hang, a good tip. Ha- like, yeah. Literally, first thing I said when I walked in here, I was like, I'm so hungry. I need more lunch. I'm approaching that. Yeah. <laughs> totally hangry is a real, real emotion. Um, and it's funny because for many years, you know, until I started working at magazine, until YM, I waited tables. And all the chefs knew, like, make sure you, she gets a shift <laughs> meal like make sure that family like, meal makes a difference it makes a huge yeah. difference um so there's that um i don't know how that i'm sure there are some tells i'm sure i have some tells Should we I, ask katie yeah i mean i don't even know if katie would know because she doesn't <laughs> spend enough time like right inside the office you'd have to ask my assistant and then she might be like i probably am not supposed to reveal that information um 
Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty direct. So, I mean, that's that's one of the things I think people like about working yeah. with me. I've solicited that feedback. Like, what's good, what's not? And people are like, you're very clear and direct. Like, we know you have high standards, but you're super fair and you're compassionate and you're fun. But we don't want to disappoint you. We want to do a good job. And so I try to be very clear. If I'm stressed... Hmm. I don't know how I show that. So really. what do people tell you they don't like working for you for? Well, I don't know if anybody's Maybe they wouldn't say it that way, but to that so much. Um I mm, I wouldn't impatience not the right word, but maybe that I I'm sort of like a like a fast moving person, mm-hmm. and maybe sometimes I expect everybody to be at that same pace, and, yeah. and they're not. Who's your emergency call when you're having like a bad day? Yeah, probably friends outside of the industry. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think it's great to talk to people in the industry because they can relate. But I find that like some of my best friends in the world are people that I waited tables with, like waited tables with at the beach in the summer, who have remained very close friends of mine, and they're in all different industries now and I just they know me like they know me as a person and you don't change fundamentally as a person you know I'm sort of still I was the same person as a waitress that I am as an editor-in-chief it's just you know different pay grade different you know cadence of the day and you know so I always find calling one of those friends um, helpful because they just sort of put it in perspective I mean they make you realize like the world does not revolve around Manhattan magazines and because it can feel like it does sometimes when you're in it and you know they just remind me if I'm feeling you know like I don't know insecure about something they remind me of my competency I mean I have really I have very cheerleading friends like sometimes it's a bit much where I'm just like okay like calm down well so on the flip side we, we end every show with this but what is the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten you know, I've listened to a number of your podcasts, so I know this is one of your questions. And I was like, I can't think of this. Probably, I mean, it's not one sort of platitude or nugget that I would say, um, but maybe the idea that you have to be, you know, completely ready before you do something or like you have Ooh, to be prepared yeah, like and have all your ducks in a row. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah. When you came back in this role, when you got in in this big job did you negotiate I mean to a point but the terms were pretty damn good <laughs> and so well, good I for you. didn't have to do a whole lot yeah there are a few things that I asked for but um but it but it also you know is a time where there's a little less um you know, appetite for for that, you know, it's a, it's like one of the best jobs in the industry. So it's like, do you want it? <laughs> yes, I do. Thank you very much. Well, that is a great note to end on. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having me, guys. This is fun. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.